the call to share, the call that is placed on our lives as followers of work to share. You try to share at a family function, and you just can't seem to ease into the conversation. So let me just ask you, forced, or you begin to think they don't want to hear it anyway. So let me just ask you to think about this. Have you ever been there? Have you ever, as a follower of Christ, tried to share your faith, tried to start a conversation, tried to tell somebody about Jesus, and as it was going, it just felt like it was just so forced, like it wasn't flowing. You didn't know what to say. You didn't know how to say it. And more importantly, you were terrified of saying the wrong thing. You thought, how in the world am I going to tell this person the gospel? I didn't go to Bible college. I'm not a pastor. I'm not a preacher. I know how God has changed my life, and I believe God can change their lives, but I don't know how to share that with them. Have you ever tried to share your faith, and it just felt awkward? I can tell you, I can raise my hand and say, I've been there. Anyone else tried to share your faith and just felt awkward? Hands go up all over. So what ends up happening is we end up walking away feeling defeated or discouraged, The truth is we, as followers of Christ, have all been there. We have all felt that awkward moment of wanting to share our faith but not sure how to do it. Again, over the next couple of weeks, we will unpack this and hopefully we will begin to understand how we can find our footing when talking about Jesus. How can we find our footing when talking about our faith? We... we, Start assuming things about other people when we want to share our faith. We assume they're not going to want to hear it, that they don't really care, that they have questions we can't answer, that why would they believe me? Why would they even give me any influence in their lives? And we just leave discouraged and defeated. I truly believe the best place to start with this idea of sharing our faith is understanding the why behind the what. Understanding the why behind the what. You see, the what is sharing our faith with others. The why is the motivation or drive that pushes us to do it. We actually have, if you know Christ as your Lord and personal Savior, this, is, this message is for everyone that knows Christ. There is no one in this room right now that if you know Christ as your Savior, that this message is not for you. All of us, every single follower of Christ has a call from Christ on our very lives to share our faith with others. Matthew chapter 28, look at verses 18 through 20. You see, this call that we have was given to us by Christ himself. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke unto them, saying, All power is given unto me in heaven and in earth. Amen. I don't want you to ever read that verse without stopping and praising God that all power, he says, all power in heaven and on earth is given to Christ. That's an amazing true statement that Jesus makes here. And it gives us encouragement to know that we can trust in him because why? He has all power. He has all of it. He is all powerful. Then he says this in verse 19. It's almost as though he's telling us, I have all this power. It's all been given to me. So I'm telling you to go because if I have all this power and all this has been given to me, then I can give it to you in the sense the power you need to go and share your faith. He says in verse 19, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Ghost. Verse 20, teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you and lo, I am with you always, even unto the end of the world. 
And I love that the Bible says, amen. Do you know what amen means? We've said this before many times. Amen means, so let it be, let it go forth. So let it be and let it go forth. So in the Bible, whenever it says amen after something, it's the word of God telling us, this is what's supposed to happen. This is supposed to what's going to happen next. It goes forth. It's giving attention to what was said. Jesus often in the Gospels said, Verily, verily, I say unto you. And he would tell them a true statement. Verily, verily is Jesus' way of culturally saying, Pay attention. Listen. This is really, really important. You need to hear this. And amen is kind of like verily, verily at the end. It's just saying, What I just told you is true and deserves all your attention. But if we're being honest, many of us that grew up in church, we've heard verses 18, 19, and 20 before. And usually when a missionary came to your church, right? A missionary would come in and show you pictures or, or slides, right? Anybody remember the slide projectors? Remember those great inventions that they had back in the day, right? Right? It's just this loud. Pictures are usually blurry, right? It's a little crooked. And this is blah, blah, blah. And you're like, I think I see that, Right? It's like one of those pictures back in the 90s that were like, looked like just chaos, and if you stared at it long enough, a picture would develop. That was some of those slides those missionaries would bring to your church and show you these things. And then they would teach on a message like this, and they would read this passage, and you would instantly go, man, I'm so thankful for missionaries that go all over the world preaching the gospel. I'm so thankful that they're doing that. Why? Because I really don't want to or don't think I can because I'm terrified of it. So I'm so thankful they're doing that. I'm really thankful I don't have to do that. Because they're doing it. But this call to Christ is not just for a missionary that's serving overseas. This is to all followers of Christ. That we are given a great commission is what this is called. Some of you may not be familiar with that term, the great commission. But maybe you know these verses. You've heard these verses before. This is not just for the missionary that's going to Africa. This is for every follower of Christ. And we have to believe that. A disciple of Christ will make disciples for Christ. If you're taking notes, jot that down. It's a truth that we have to understand. A disciple of Christ, a follower, a learner of Christ, somebody that's received Christ, will make disciples for Christ. It's, there's no gray area. When you read this New Testament, it is obvious that disciples of Christ are supposed to make disciples for Christ. But that's not what's really happening in most places. Because of fear, anxiety, lack of knowledge, lack of understanding. We don't know how to do what we really want to do. I believe that most followers of Christ, most Christians have a genuine desire to share their faith. I think you want to. But I think you're like a lot of people. You're terrified of it. And so rather than follow what you know to be true, this call, you give in to fear. And you discourage, and this discouragement that you just kind of give up and say, I just, I guess this isn't for me. Another problem I see in our churches today is that the average Christian doesn't really believe a disciple of Christ is to make disciples for Christ. Barner Research Group found this that I, I discovered, and it just it, it blew my mind. Listen to this. I'm going to give you some numbers, and I'm going to try to read it slowly. And if you, if you have any questions about this, please see me after. But listen to what Barner Research Group discovered in this idea of sharing your faith. A growing number, they say, of Christians... Don't see sharing the good news as a personal responsibility. Just 10% of Christians in 1993 who had shared about their faith 
agreed with the statement, converting people to Christianity is the job of the local church, as opposed to the job of the individual, i.e. themselves. So listen to this. 10% of Christians in 1993 agreed with the statement that converting people to Christianity is the job of the local church, meaning you don't have to share Christ with your neighbor. Your goal is just to get them into the church so that I can share Christ with them. Okay? So 10% of Christians in 1993 agreed that that was the way to share your faith. That was the, what the Bible expected of us. 25 years later, 3 in 10 Christians who have had a conversation about faith say evangelism is the local church's responsibility, or 29%. It's increased from 10% to 29%. 10 percent 25 years ago said, yeah, I think it's the job of the local church to share Christ and to convert people to Christ. 25 years later, 30% of Christians are saying it's the job of the local church to lead people to Christ. 30% from 10% 25 years ago. A nearly threefold increase this jump could be the result of many factors or personal and cultural barriers to sharing faith. Listen to what they're going on to say. Yet the most dramatic divergence over time is on the statement, every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. In 1993, 9 out of 10 Christians who had shared their faith agreed. So 89% in 1993 agreed with the statement, every Christian has a responsibility to share their faith. 25 years later, however, just two-thirds say so, 64%. 25 years ago, 89% of Christians said, yes, it's the job of the individual to share Christ. 25 years later, 64% agree with that statement. This is shocking to me and should be to all of us that know Christ. We have replaced the personal and the passion that personal responsibility and the passion for sharing Christ with the idea that it's the church's job to share Christ. That I don't have to share Christ with my neighbor, I just got to get him to church. If I can just get him to church, then the pastor will lead them to Christ. Then the pastor and the deacons can do this, and they can do this. And we've started to kind of disregard our personal responsibility for sharing Christ, and that's the whole mindset of why we are doing this series. The whole reason I wanted to tackle this topic over the next four weeks is because I believe a growing number of us, Christians in America today, do not see it as our personal responsibility to share Christ. We think the real goal is just getting them to church. Now, is there anything wrong with inviting someone to church? Of course not. And we're so thankful that you're here. If you're here for the very first time, maybe you've been in church before, your first time with us, thank you for being here. We do greatly appreciate your time. And I pray that it's a blessing to you. But bringing someone to church is not in place of my responsibility in Christ to share my faith when God opens doors of opportunity. So I believe the way to solve this problem is we don't really understand the gospel. I think what we're practically saying when we don't believe it's our responsibility to share faith is we're really saying we don't really then understand the gospel practically. What does it mean to be saved? What does it mean to be a Christian, a follower of Christ? We have to start at the basics of salvation before we begin sharing it with others. And so here's what I want to do. I know many of you know this, but I'm going to really quickly summarize the gospel for all of us. 
Because I believe if we truly believe these truths from God's word, it will be undeniable the passion and the fire in us to go and share our faith. And no fear of not knowing what to say will stop you. The gospel can be summarized this way. We have all committed sins according to God's word. No one is perfect. I can raise my hand to that one. Anyone perfect here today? Perfect person. Perfect, perfect. No, didn't think so. Imperfect people. Anyone not perfect here today? Raise your hand. Not perfect. Made a mistake. Sandra, put your hand down. Cut that out. I'll tell you what, she, she's not perfect, but when she gets in the kitchen, she's pretty close. You know what I'm saying? She's, man, good eats, man. I'll tell you what. Anyway. Anyway, so that's not even here or there. So the truth is we've all committed sins according to God's word. No one is perfect. Do you realize that when you share your faith... Nobody you talk to about your faith will disagree with that point. You talk to anybody. I don't care their religious background, atheist, agnostic. They don't believe there's any God. They believe there could be a God, but we can't know that God personally. doesn't matter. You tell them that statement right there. Any unbeliever, anybody that doesn't know Christ, you say, hey, are you perfect? And they will look at you and say, no. So then what's the problem? We start weighing out our sins, right? I'm not perfect, but I'm not as bad as this guy or that person. I mean, I never did this. We start weighing out our sins. We agree we're not perfect, but we don't think we're as bad as maybe people think we are or the Bible seems to suggest. But we'll get to that in a moment. We cannot gain forgiveness for our sins through any human efforts. The gospel is clear. We cannot gain forgiveness for our sins through any human efforts i got to hurry here. Our sins carry the weight of consequence because God is holy. The consequence of our sin is separation from God for eternity in a place called hell if you die in your sin. However, God in his great love sent his son, Jesus Christ, to be a sacrifice for our sins. Amen. Here's just a little bit of what Jesus did for us. Jesus lived a sinless life. He died on a sinner's cross. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. He rose again on the third day. He was seen by real people in real time, real eyewitnesses. At one part, the Bible tells us over 500 saw him physically after his resurrection. He ascended to heaven approximately 40 days after his resurrection where he prays for you and I. The truth of the gospel is that if a person places their faith in Christ and in these basic truths, they will be forgiven of their sin, past, present, and future. They will be sealed with the indwelling presence of the Holy Spirit and eternally secure in Christ, never to lose their salvation. We then surrender our lives to Christ and follow him, abiding in him as his disciples to do the will of God. This is the gospel. This is the truth of what God did for us. And I don't know about you, but when I think about the fact that I was broken in sin and shame. I had nothing to offer. I had no hope of doing anything worth anything. We told our group on Tuesday night, the Bible says your best five minutes, your righteous acts and deeds, take the best five minutes of your life. And if you were to put that in the present and you were to put that before the very throne of God, all pretty ribbons and bows and everything else, this gorgeous presentation and God was to open the box containing your righteous acts, the Bible says the very smell of that work would cause him to vomit. Your righteous deeds 
the Bible says, are as filthy rags before a holy God. And I've always said this, if that's our righteous deeds, then what does our sin look like? If our good stuff makes him want to just throw up, then you know what disgusts God the most in his holiness? That we believe it'll work. That we've convinced ourselves because we believe the lie of the enemy that we're just good enough. And here, God, I'll give this to you, and you have to receive this because I'm giving it to you. And God says, I never knew you. Depart from me. Well, how could God do that? Who's God to judge me anyway? He is your creator. The Bible says that he formed everything by his very hands and his word of his mouth. He is your creator, and therefore you are under his authority. Your sin carries a consequence of separation in hell. But Jesus Christ came when he didn't have to, but he came to give himself for us, a sacrifice for our sins. And anyone, anyone, race, previous religion, gender, social status, economic status, it doesn't matter. Anyone, a child to an adult that puts their faith and trust in Christ, believing, not in your own works, but in his work of the cross, you will be saved, the Bible says. And set for eternity, sealed, never to lose your salvation. But that's the gospel. And so I have to ask you a question this morning. Have you believed this gospel? Have you believed the only gospel that is made available to us? We need to understand that salvation is all of grace because it is all of God. Some may think that they aren't that bad and really don't need to be saved I'm not as bad as someone else. So-and-so needs to be saved, but I live a pretty good life. And see, this is the majority of people in our country today. You're not going to meet people who most likely committed murder, right? Like just horrible stuff that we think of in our culture. You're going to meet most people in your daily life that live a good life, that pay their taxes, that raise their family. They're good people that do good things. They're good in the community. They're respected. They're kind. They're gracious. That's the majority of people you're going to meet in sharing your faith. And they're going to look at you and say, I'm okay. I'm good. I, I mean, I got everything pretty much figured out. I mean, I'm not perfect, but if you think that's true, that you'll just be okay. Or maybe you've been saved so long that you have practically forgotten what a massive act of grace saving you really was. I want you to listen to the Bible's testimony about you before Christ. Are you ready? This is what the Bible says about you before you became a follower of Christ. And if you're here and you're not a follower of Christ, this is you according to God's word, not me. This is not Pastor John's ideas. This is what the Bible teaches us. The Bible says your testimony before you were saved is you are slaves to sin and dominated by Satan. You live in wickedness and impurity. Your mind is depraved and your heart is sinful. Your desires are disordered and your bodies are defiled. You are morally evil and spiritually sick. Now that's warm and fuzzies, right? Doesn't it just warm you on the inside? Because of this, we must do so much more than merely repeat a prayer after someone else, not knowing what we're actually saying, but simply going through a religious ceremony. Salvation is so much more than that. It is to be truly born again. Listen to Jesus' encounter with a man who was desiring to obtain eternal life. John chapter 3. John chapter 3 and verse 3. Jesus speaking to Nicodemus here. John chapter 3 and verse 3. Listen to what Jesus said. 
Jesus answered and said unto him, <clears throat> Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Nicodemus saith unto him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter the second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, said, and Jesus answered Verily, verily, I say unto thee, Except a man be born of water and of the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. You see, Jesus didn't say, ask me into your heart. Jesus didn't say, pray this prayer. Jesus said boldly and definitively, you must be born again. This happens when I place my faith in Christ, turning from my sin and turning to Christ. Let me ask you, have you truly repented of your sin, believed in Christ, surrendering your life to him? Now that can be done in a prayer. I'm not saying the prayer is bad, but praying a prayer, thinking the prayer will save you, having no true knowledge in your heart of conversion or repentance, that prayer is just words, you say. It's not about praying a prayer. It's not about just, man, I feel really bad. I'm going to raise my hand. It's a changing of our hearts. It's repenting. See, Jesus never says, ask me into your heart, but he does say, repent. Modern evangelism has taught us and tricked us into thinking that just by going through these motions that we're good. We don't have to actually see any life change. There's a lie in the church today that you can receive Christ and keep your life exactly as you had it before. Nowhere is that in this book. Nowhere does Jesus say, hey, receive me and just keep doing, doing what you want. No big deal. Now he seems to tell Nicodemus, you want to know how to have eternal life? you got to be born again. you got to start over. It's brand new. Have you received this gospel? As you're contemplating this idea of receiving the gospel, and if you truly have been saved, this is not to cause you to doubt your salvation. It's to cause you to question why you believe you're saved. If you're here and you think you're saved because you go to church, or because you write a tithes check, or because you were baptized as a child, if you believe that's what kind of keeps your salvation or that makes you saved, maybe you have Christian parents and you think, well, I'm saved because they're Christians. Jesus said, every individual that finds eternal life must be born again. As you're weighing through this, I want to remind you of Jesus' words. And to me, this is one of the most terrifying passages for me as a pastor of a church. Because it breaks my heart to think that someone might sit in our services week after week and be who Jesus is talking about here in Matthew chapter 7. See, this is what Jesus actually says. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name? Cast out demons in your name. Done many wonders in your name. And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. See, those are Jesus' words. Jesus says... The only way you will find eternal life is to trust in Christ for everything. Repenting of your sin, turning from the old sin and turning to the Father. Trusting in Christ. Not in some words or not in some religious ceremony by coming here and gathering together. But by in your heart of hearts, by in your mind and your soul. Confessing your sin. Trusting in Christ. Believing he died on the cross for your sin. Turning from that and surrendering to him. Saying, God, I need you. Christ, I need you to save me. If you have not repented and trusted in Christ and in his grace, you can do that right now. 
You don't have to wait for an invitation. You don't have to wait for a time of prayer. You can right now, there where you are, in your seats, you can bow your head and say, God, I know that I have sinned. I know that I have, I've done things that displease you, that violate your law. I know I've done wrong things. But I believe that you died on the cross for my sins. I believe that you were buried in a tomb. I believe that you rose again. And I'm going to ask that you would forgive me of my sins, that I would give my life to you, that I would turn from my sins and turn to you, that I would follow you and surrender to you, that you would be the Lord of my life. So you can do that right now. But if you have done that, if you've received Christ as your Savior, then I believe once we understand the gospel, we can begin to understand our call. One more passage I want to go to. I know I need to hurry, but 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Look at verse 17. 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 17 says this, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And all things, verse 18 of 2 Corinthians 5, and all things are of God, who hath reconciled us to himself by Jesus Christ, and has given unto us the ministry of reconciliation. To wit, that God was in Christ, reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them, and hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors by Christ, as though God did beseech you. That word beseech you means beg or plead by us. We pray you in Christ's stead, be ye reconciled to God. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. I don't know if there's a more powerful verse than verse 21. For he hath made him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Christ took on sin and carried the weight of that sin on the cross. The first thing I want to point out with our call, once we understand the gospel, we've received the true gospel, we see we have a call to go and a call to share. If we truly believe that the gospel is the only way a man can be saved from the power and penalty of sin, we must see the love of Christ for this world and go to those who do not know. You are saved for that glorious purpose. We all love the truth in verse 17, don't we? That we are a new creature. Old things have passed away. All things have become new. Man, I've heard this quoted so many times. Don't let your past beat you up. You're a new creature. Past mistakes have no power over you. You're a new creature. Don't let the past sins weight you down in the present. You're a new creature. All things are new. And man, we'll see that written on cards. We'll see that on bumper stickers, t-shirts, refrigerator magnets, right? Tattoos. I'm a new creature. And praise God we are a new creature in Christ. Amen? That he washed away the old and made us new because a lot of us have some things in our old that we really regret. And you are a new creature. But why in the world would Paul say that in this passage? See, sometimes we've got to step out of one verse and look at the whole bigger picture. I believe Paul's point in using that phrasing in verse 17 in a context of all this about reconciliation and being ambassadors for Christ is that the one who made you new also gives you a new purpose for your life. 
that you can share with others how they can be made new and experience the fullness of life. But it has to be a response of the heart. A response of the heart. I believe the greatest moment in the life of the early disciples was when they wanted to share Christ and the truth of the gospel with someone else instead of thinking, do I have to or what's in it for me? The choice to share the gospel must be driven by a heart of desire, not obligation. Jesus told his disciples in Matthew chapter 4, we don't want them to turn there, but in Matthew chapter 4, that he would make them fishers of men. Then in Matthew 28, he reminds them of their original call to go out and make disciples. Then we see them following this idea in Acts chapter 2, all the way through the rest of the book, fishing for men and seeing a church built where thousands upon thousands were receiving Christ under their preaching, their prayer, and their vision. You see, I think to understand our call, we have to understand the gospel. Over the next three weeks, we're going to unpack this. And we're going to talk about some practical things. But I wanted to start today by asking a very important, and to be honest, it's the most important question you can answer. Have you received the gospel for yourself? Have you personally received this truth into your life? Not all religions are the same. Not all books teach the same thing. Not all belief systems teach the same thing. I've said it before, I'll say it over and over again. Every other major religion in our world, Hinduism, Buddhism, Islam, and Judaism, the major religions, Christianity is grouped in there. There's five. A lot of the other religions and groups are just spinoffs of those. Do you know that four of the five teach that it's about what you can do to get to God? It's about doing good things and living good ways and karma and being reincarnated and, and all these things. It's keeping these pillars. It's keeping these truths. It's praying in this direction. It's doing it so many times a day. It's about making these pilgrimages to these locations. And if you do all of these things, you might, you might get into heaven. And people spend their whole lives chasing forgiveness, chasing a relationship with God, chasing peace with God. Do you know the only belief system in our world that bases your eternity not on what you do, but what Christ has done for you is Christianity. It's the only belief system where the God of the belief system actually came to earth and sacrificed himself for those that would trust in him. And we hear that and we think, oh, that's so amazing. I just don't think I can receive it. I just, I'm too far gone. I've done too many stupid things. I'm too sinful. I'm too dirty. I'm too broken. Those are all lies. There is no one beyond the reach of his grace. There is no one beyond the reach of his salvation. And if you will turn your heart to him, believing the truth of the gospel, trusting in him, you will be saved, the Bible says. And once you understand the gospel, then we can begin to understand our call. A call to go, a call to share as a response of the desires of our heart. And so this morning, I want you to just do really one key thing as we get ready to close an invitation. Invitation is just a time for response. That's all it really is. And I want you to respond this morning. So I'm going to ask you to do a couple things in just a moment. And you don't have to. But I want you to know that I want you to be challenged this morning. Do you know the gospel? And if you know the gospel, have you received your call? Or do you think it's just for the pastor, just for the missionary? I don't have to actually share anything. I just, the church will do that for me. 
Do you believe that God has put a call on your life to share your faith so that others who don't know Christ can find the eternal security, the peace, and the love, and the joy that surpasses all of the trials that we go through? You can receive forgiveness through no human effort. It is only an act of God's grace that he gives to us to receive. So I'm going to do this. We're going to have the band come, and I'm going to ask you to bow your heads right there where you are. And I want to ask a very important question, one that I pray you've been thinking about this morning. I want to ask you, do you know Christ as your Savior? Do you know Jesus? Have you personally made a decision to trust in Christ? If you're here this morning and you have not, then I would love to pray for you. I will not call you out. I will not embarrass you. But if you're here and you don't know Christ, I would love to pray for you. Is there anyone with nobody looking around? Is there anyone that would say with a raised hand, pray for me, Pastor John. I have not received the gospel that you talked about. I have not received Christ as my Savior. I am not a Christian in the sense of being saved as you described it. Again, nobody's looking around. It's just me. I just want to pray for you. Is there anyone that would raise their hand and say, pray for me, Pastor John. I don't know Christ. Maybe you're here this morning. And you would say, you know what, I I know Christ. I've received the gospel. I believe I've received the true gospel. But if I'm being honest, I haven't really believed that it's my responsibility to share Christ with others. I've kind of thought that it's just the job of the church. And if I can just bring people to church, then the pastor will do it. That the church will take care of it. That it's not, I've never really thought it's my responsibility, but now... I understand it is my responsibility and I want to go into my week with an open heart and mind to share Christ with anyone and everyone that I can because now I understand it's my responsibility. So is there anyone here with, again, no one looking around that would raise your hand and say, Pastor John, would you pray for me? I I used to believe that it wasn't my job to share Christ, but now I'm starting to see that I have a responsibility to share my faith and I know I haven't been, but I want to. Would you pray for me? Is there anyone that would raise their hand to that and say, pray for me, Pastor John. I used to think it was the job of the church, but now I know it's my responsibility. Would you pray for me? Anyone at all? Hands up here in the front. Amen. Amen. Anyone else? What I'm going to ask you to do in just a moment, I'm going to pray, and then we're going to stand, and the band's going to lead us in a song. But here's what I want you to do. If you feel God impressing on your heart, you need to be passionate about sharing your faith, that you want to be passionate about sharing the truth of the gospel with those around you. You've received it, and now you're going to go live it. And maybe you would come and bend the knee this morning and just spend a time in prayer up front and just say, God, would you just help me to get victory over these fears? Help me to be passionate about sharing your gospel with those that need it. Help me to not be judgmental or condemning to those around me, but to see them with your love and your grace. Thank you for your gospel. Maybe you want to come and just praise him for the truth of the gospel, that you were once an enemy of God, and now you are his son and daughter in Christ. Maybe you want to come and just praise him for that. Maybe you want to come and say, God, I didn't really think that I was supposed to be making disciples. I didn't think that was my job, but now I want to be a disciple maker. I want to lead people to Christ. 
I want to be used by you because I've seen the power in your gospel. If that's you this morning, then would you come in just a moment and bend a knee. Don't worry about anyone else. Don't think about anyone else. It's between you and God. Father, would you lead God and direct. Holy Spirit, may you lead us through this time of worship. May we surrender to you in all these things that you would receive the victory and the honor and the praise. Father, as followers of Christ, may we go from this place being reminded of your gospel, praising you for your goodness and your grace. Thank you, you, for all that you've done. May we understand our call, our call to go, our call to share as a response of an overflowing love in our heart for you and for others. Would you lead us this morning, Father? And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand to your feet this morning? Short time of invitation. Would you respond?